Hey guys, welcome back and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Sherry. This week's podcast is a little different than my usual stuff, but I promise you're going to love it. I have all these things buried in my brain, stories I've remembered from years before that resurface sometimes. When that happens, I usually try to make a note of them so I can go back and reevaluate when I have the time. A lot of them are pretty short, though, and I feel an entire episode couldn't be devoted to each of them. They also don't fall into the gruesome crime category I usually talk about, so I decided to merge them into a three-part podcast. This is episode 23, Three Short Crazy Stories. Story number one begins with a man named Owen Parfit. At the time this story takes place in a western town in England, it's 1768. Just to jump way back to that time period like I do for every show, here's some 1768 facts. It was the year of the very first circus. King Louis of France declared that going forward, every house had to have a house number posted outside as well as businesses, which we still do today. The Declaration of Independence hadn't been signed yet. And lastly, a pound of coffee cost 13 cents. It's been 252 years since the story took place. The subject of this story was a man named Owen Parfit. Owen was a well-traveled guy. He's in his 60s and enjoys telling stories of his younger days. He was a sailor who told stories involving piracy, battles, and sleeping with hundreds of women. He's been involved in a whole lot of stuff and was a certifiable badass by the way he tells his stories. He knew that some people were skeptical of his outlandish tales, but he just kept on telling them anyway to anyone who would listen. By 1760, his wildlife had come to a halt. I guess years of living his adventures had caught up with him. Owen is now paralyzed, completely unable to walk. He had to move in with his older sister, Mary, who was an elderly woman herself, around the age of 80. I don't know exactly what rheumatism is, but it's noted that that's what he had. I think it involves severe pain in the joints. Owen is 100% not able to walk anymore or do any of the tasks he used to be able to do. He's pretty much bedridden all the time. One night in 1768, Owen had been crippled for about eight years now. His sister has some chores to do, and she's going to put Owen out on the front porch so he can get some fresh air while she cleans. It's late afternoon, and she goes to the house next door, which is about 50 yards away, and there's a teenage girl there who sometimes helps Mary move Owen around. Her name is Susanna. They go inside and pick Owen up and carry him to the front porch and set him up in a chair. Now, there's some farm workers in the distance, and he could sit out there and watch them as evening goes on. Owen is wearing his night clothes. I'm going to assume since it's the 1700s, it was probably a nightgown of some sort. They place a wool trench coat over his shoulders like a shawl. Mary tells him she's going to clean his room and bedding, and she'll be back out in a little while to check on him. Susanna and Mary clean the house, and Susanna tells Mary to come get her when she's ready to bring Owen inside, and she'll come back and help her. Susanna leaves out the back door and returns home. Mary notices there's a storm coming soon. The wind is picking up, and the sky is getting darker. She goes out to the front porch, and her brother Owen is nowhere to be found. His chair is still sitting there, and the wool coat that she had put over his shoulders is sitting on the chair. She yells out for him, but he doesn't answer. 
Susanna hears her yelling and comes running back over, and Mary is hysterical. She doesn't know what happened to her brother. Susanna asks her if she heard anything or anyone come to the house, and Mary said no. Remember, this is the 1700s. There's no cars or TVs or radios. You can hear everything in your house. As well, Mary had all the windows open. Word gets out around town that Owen vanished, and the farm workers that were a ways away that Owen had been watching are questioned. They said they didn't even know he was watching them. They were just trying to finish up their work quickly before the storm came, so they don't know what happened. The search lasts for weeks and then months. People are looking everywhere. There were bodies of water that were checked, hidden trails in the woods. Everywhere was searched, but no signs of Owen. Stories become crazy out there about what could have really happened to him. Did Owen fake his illness and he could really walk? Did some of his old cohorts find him and decide he needed to pay for his past mistakes? Did Mary grow tired of taking care of him every day and decide to kill him? This seems unlikely because back then it would have been easier to say that he had died rather than stage a whole disappearance. One online user thought that maybe there were some pigs nearby and he fell out of his chair and the pigs ate him. The most common theory is that the devil came and took him to pay back for his bad deeds from his former years. It sounds crazy to us. But again, it's the 1700s and people believed that kind of stuff would happen to you. In 1814, this is almost 50 years after Owen disappeared, a set of bones were found near Mary's property. Everyone was relieved that this would finally solve the case, but the bones ended up belonging to a female under the age of 10, further deepening the mystery of Owen Parfit. It's been 252 years and this case is still unsolved. Rest in peace, Owen, and I hope someday the truth about what happened to you comes out, although it's unlikely we will ever know. Story number two captivated Australia in the year 2016. This story is about the Trump family, spelled T-R-O-M-P, not to be confused with the Trump family. The Trump family is a family of five, and they're all grown-ups. The dad is Mark, the mom is Jacoba, the three siblings are all in their 20s. Their names are Rihanna, who is 29, Ella, who is 22, and their brother Mitchell, who is 25. They live in Australia on a berry farm where they all work, sometimes seven days a week. I know when I talk about stories of farms, they seem like they were a long time ago, but this is a modern farm with like a website and so on. They grow berries, which are then shipped off for use in lots of different products. They were a normal, hardworking household. They all lived together in this big farmhouse. On August 29th, 2016, something no one can figure out why happens. The whole Trump family gets in their daughter's Ella's SUV and takes off on a long road trip. They didn't just leave, though. They fled. They left their house unlocked. Lights were still on. It was like they just stopped in the middle of whatever they were doing and piled into the car and left. They left their mobile phones. They left their passports laying out. They left credit cards and wallets. The girls left their purses. It was like they simply vanished. The only thing missing is Ella's SUV and the keys to the car. It was later revealed Mark and Jacoba had been suffering increasing signs of stress and paranoia. 
According to media reports, at least one of them had been become convinced that someone was out to kill them and take their money. This could be why the family fled. Well, there's one family member that's not crazy about this, and that's their son, Mitchell. He actually brought his cell phone with him. He doesn't know why his family is freaking out the way they are. He's not convinced that they're in any danger. He goes along to make sure everyone stays safe, but said his mom and dad and sister's increasing paranoia was driving him crazy and he just wanted out of that car. But he's hundreds of miles away and getting further from home every minute that passes. When they were only 20 miles from their house, his parents made him throw out his phone out of the car window because they were convinced it was being used to track them. About 24 hours after they left on their sudden trip, it's about 7 o'clock a.m. on a Tuesday morning, Mitchell separates from the rest of the family. He tells his dad to pull over and he gets out of the car. Remember, he along with everyone else has no credit cards, no ID, no wallet, no cell phone. They only have the clothes on their backs. I don't know how much cash they have on them. The remaining four family members continue on. They've gone almost a thousand kilometers at this point, which converted is around 650 miles. At this point, the two daughters, Ella and Rihanna, decide to separate from their parents. The two daughters get out of the car. They steal a car and drive to a nearby town and report their parents missing. Ella and Rihanna then separate because Ella decided she wanted to go home and feed her horses. She was the first family member to return to the farm. Mitchell would arrive later that day. He had taken a train from Sydney the whole way home. Mitchell and Ella seemed the most unaffected and least delusional. The other daughter, Rihanna, and her parents were way different, though. So Rihanna is off on her own now. She climbs into the back seat of a utility worker's truck and hides in the back floorboard. The driver gets in and drives for about an hour before hearing a sound come from the black floorboard. He pulls his truck over and is in disbelief that he's been riding with this woman hiding back there behind him the whole time. He described her as being in a catatonic state. That's when you're very quiet and won't answer questions or respond to anything. It's kind of like a psychosis, I guess. She's just sitting there out of it. She finally says she doesn't know her name or where she was. The driver called emergency services and she is taken to the hospital where she is placed on a psychiatric hold. Rihanna was able to get out of the car theft charges because of her mental state, but Ella is charged with stealing the car though. So we've got Mitchell and Ella at home now. Rihanna is in the hospital psychiatric ward. Mom and dad are still on the run together. Well, by now the media has picked up on this story and people are fascinated. What the hell is this family doing? Why did they leave their lavish farm so suddenly? And why are they all acting weird? Except Mitchell and also Ella, but she did steal a car, which is not in her character. She's like a rich horse girl. Either way, Mitchell and Ella seem to be the most level-headed of the bunch. A manhunt is underway for Mark and Jacoba. It's revealed at this point, Mark and Jacoba split up and they separate. Jacoba is taking public transportation around until she is located and taken to the hospital for the same thing as Ella. She's in a disturbed mental state. Mark is the only one unaccounted for. He's in his daughter Ella's SUV and all by himself. 
A young couple is driving, and they noted that they were being tailgated by a silver SUV, which is later found to be Mark. This guy is on their bumper. I mean, he's driving two inches from them. They speed up, and he speeds up. They were afraid of being rear-ended, so they pull over, and the driver of the SUV pulls over as well. He gets out and starts running towards them. He then stops in the middle of the road and stares at them for a couple minutes. He then walks into the woods, leaving his SUV running behind. The couple is shaken up, like, what is this guy doing? They wait, and he never came out of the woods. They called the police, and the police say that this is Ella's SUV that has been on the news all over Australia, and now they know that the driver was Mark. Mitchell was interviewed on the news, and he pleaded with his dad saying, please come home. No one is out to get you. Look at us. We're home, and we're fine. He told the news anchor that he couldn't provide a specific explanation for his parents' paranoia and that their extreme behavior shocked him. He was quoted as saying, I've never seen anything like it. It's really hard to explain or put a word on it, but they were just fearing for their lives and they decided to flee. Mark Trump was located running along a street that evening. He was picked up by police and released to a relative several hours later. As he was driven away, he gave the media the middle finger. A week later, Mark gives a statement to the media. Without reservation, I apologize for the hurt and concern caused by these events. This is all that he says. He doesn't elaborate on why they took this trip or anything. Theories ranged from shared psychosis caused by chemicals used on their berry farm to suggesting that they were running from debt collectors. The Trumps have kept a low profile in the last four years and have returned to work in their regular lives. Ella was charged with car theft over the incident, but the charges were withdrawn by the vehicle's owner. Once the vehicle owner realized they were part of this huge story, he said he didn't want to press charges. The family has enough to deal with as it is. The Trump family now says they are extremely embarrassed by the whole ordeal and wish it never happened. For me, myself, I'm just glad no one was hurt. The last story I want to talk to you guys about takes place in the year 2011. A young man appears at city, a city hall building in Germany. He tells the workers there, I am all alone in this world. Please help me. I don't even know who I am. All he knows is that his name is Ray. He said his mother died years ago in a car accident and him and his dad live in the forest. They sleep in caves and live off of berries and mushrooms. He said his dad died a month ago and he had to bury him. His dad had given him instructions before he died that if something ever happens to him, bury him and then start walking north and continue on until you reach civilization. Now he's all alone and scared and lost without his dad. The authorities believe Forest Boy is still a minor, so they place him in orphan care. His accent has some English undertones. He can speak German, but he's not that great at it. Ray shared a room with another teenage boy, and the boy taught him how to use a fork and a spoon properly. He enjoys going out and doing regular activities like playing ball and bowling. He's quickly adapting to normal life, so they transfer him to a long-term hostel. He continues in school and now owns a laptop and a cell phone. The folks at the hostel said he was ver a very nice, friendly young man who didn't give anyone any trouble.
This whole time, the authorities are trying to figure out who he is. He is unable to locate the grave where he buried his father. They request a DNA sample from him so they can put it into their Interpol system to see if there are any matches. At first, he refused, and then he finally agreed. The DNA and fingerprints showed that he had no criminal record. A photo is circulated of the boy, but it was strange because it was blurred out in portions, including his face, because they assume he's a minor. In June of 2012, they finally release a full unedited photograph of the boy, and a woman comes forward, and she says, that's my ex-boyfriend, and his name is Robin Van Helsom, and he is 20 years old and from the Netherlands. Robin is a computer genius who enjoys Family Guy and South Park. That's one thing I have in common with this kid. He left the Netherlands because he was behind on his rent, and he also found out his ex-girlfriend was pregnant. So he took the last of his savings and started traveling to Germany. He was hiking so he could avoid spots where he would have to use his passport. His friend eventually went back home and Robin was out of money. So he just walked over to City Hall in, Ber in Berlin, Germany and started crying and made up an elaborate story about living in the forest. Now, unlike the Piano Man case I told you guys about a few months ago, Robin was charged. He has to pay back all the money that was spent caring for him, which is $40,000. He was sentenced to 150 hours of community service. So the kid they dubbed Forest Boy was a fraud, and that's the end. I hope you guys enjoyed these short stories as much as I did. I'll see you guys again soon. Take care and much love to you all.